to hear mom tell it, I started talking at nine months old and haven't stopped since. Always looking for a good story to tell. That's what makes up a big part of all this joshing around. However, I don't always want to bore you with regaling tales of my life, so we do mix in a little modern culture here and there. Kind of like a funny joke show that plays the best of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. With that in mind, I guess I've always been this way. A storyteller at heart, a troubadour, or a raconteur. And my family recognized this as an early age. I think my father both encouraged it and took advantage of it because he would fill me full of racy adult jokes and then have me tell them at parties. I remember one being a long-winded affair involving people jumping for joy and feeling merry. All the while, joy and merry were very put off about the whole thing. Another joke that he had me tell involved a string that wanted to get a drink at a bar. However, the bartender kept putting him off because of who he was. So finally, in ways to get by the bouncer, the string tied himself in a knot frayed up his hair, and then when he was asked at the bar if he was a string, he simply replied, frayed not. These jokes and stories didn't get me far in the fifth and sixth grade, and I'm not sure how the other adults at the parties reflected on them either. Yet, here we are, still telling stories about exceptionalism, charcuterie, and portmandus as we get romanticated with joshing around. As with most people, I do get nervous before speaking in public, though once I get started, I seem to lose myself in the task and it becomes second nature. These days, public speaking is more widespread than ever. With social media making up most communications, it almost seems like having no voice is worse than anything, because it could be misconstrued that a fear of public speaking is akin to hate speech. That's a play on words I came up with while imagining a high school kid getting inadvertently arrested by the thought police after thinking about how much he hates speech class. But it still begs the question about the old cliche mom used to repeat that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So all those people out there that are silently listening and nodding in approval, do they just hate our guts? With that, I'm told we have a call in from a friend of the show who can no longer bite his tongue when it comes to a glaring omission from an episode last week. So what's up now? Wait, what? Yeah, I was promised an Oscar Mayer Wiener jingle. Where was the Oscar Mayer Wiener jingle? You can't bring up the greatest jingle in advertising history and then not do your own cover version. I want a refund. I want a refund. I'm talking to management. Please know we've heard your concerns. Management is listening. However, we don't issue refunds, though we do want to make this right. So without further ado, if this show were broadcast over airwaves, on radio or maybe on TV, or if you shared the podcast with a friend, then everyone could josh around with me. If you have any grievances on future episodes, please don't be afraid to call the show at anchor.fm slash joshing around or simply leave a comment on our website at joshuaround.com. Just three years after the Oscar Mayer Wiener song found its way into American hearts, the advertising agency Young and Rubicon was hired to come up with a jingle for Oscar Mayer's competitor, Armor Hot Dogs. The lyrics to the song, while acceptable at the time, might be a little abrasive to today's ears as the song begins... 
chunky twerps, puny urchins, punks who steal from corner merchants, girls tough as nails, boys that smell roses, even poor kids with cystic fibrosis love hot dogs. And while I agree, those kids probably still do love hot dogs, the lyrics don't really hold up over time, which is probably why Armor Hot Dogs have lost market share. Americanized case meats, hot dogs, and cold cuts can't hold a candle to anything found on a charcuterie board. Charcuterie is the branch of cooking devoted to prepared meat products such as bacon, ham, sausage, head cheese, terrines, galantines, ballantines, pâtés, and confites, primarily from pork. In fact, the French word for a person who prepares charcuterie is a charcutier, generally translated into English as pork butcher. This has led to the mistaken belief that charcuterie can only involve pork, when instead it's defined as the art of preparing various meats in order to present them in the most diverse ways. So with that in mind, go find yourself a charcuterie board and get fluent in pork cheese. Charcuterie was first regulated by the Romans in the first century AD, and it's seeing a renaissance in today's culinary environment as well. With that in mind, everything old is destined to become new again, from bell bottoms all the way to drugs. In fact, 15 years ago, heroin was thought as a throwaway street drug, but now it's coveted from the street all the way up to the elites, though that might have something to do with the fact that we've been waging a war on Afghanistan's poppy fields for those same 15 years. It wasn't until demand caught up with supply-side economics that we truly had an epidemic on our hands. Luckily, it may be that the worst is over, as pill mills are starting to give way to marijuana dispensaries, at least here in the state of Florida. Though with that in mind, we're not quite free to move about the country as of yet, but that might be part of the point with states' rights and all. While I may not be able to travel with my prescribed medicine across state lines as of yet, it may be all for the best, as states' rights help keep us insulated from the often overreaching arm of federal law. With that in mind, if we were all one big state and country with rights therein, we'd probably be a hundred years behind the times as we wait for Alabama to California and Maine to Mississippi to see eye to eye. And if you're anything like me, I don't think that that would happen anytime soon. The ideal that the United States is unique among nations with respect to the ideas of democracy and personal freedoms is known as American exceptionalism defined by liberty, egalitarianism, individualism, republicanism, democracy, and laissez-faire economics. The thought of American exceptionalism also extends to the idea that the United States has a mission to transform the world. As Abraham Lincoln stated in the Gettysburg Address, Americans have a duty to ensure a government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from this earth. Alexis de Tocqueville is the one that first dubbed America as exceptional as he toured the country in the 1840s while pinning democracy in America, though it wasn't until the early 20th century when the true phrase American exceptionalism was coined by Joseph Stalin as a critique of American communists who complained the American political climate was unique, needing exception to elements of Marxist theory. Ooh. With that said, let's hope all the folks running around in red hats don't secretly support recreating Stalin's exceptionalism and instead simply stop once they've again made America great. 
Unlike philosophers Alexa de Tocqueville and Joseph Stalin, I have no place debating American exceptionalism or Marxist theory, just like I have no place discussing religion. For God's sake, I still believe in a flying spaghetti monster that flexes his noodly appendage over the world. Oh, you don't? Whether you're unfamiliar with the flying spaghetti monster or simply need a refresher course in Pastafarianism, I'll have you know the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is a light-hearted religion that's as real as any others that opposes the teachings of intelligent design and creationism in public schools. Though not recognized as a real religion in the United States, even though the country was founded on religious freedoms, it is legally recognized in the Netherlands, while in New Zealand, Pastafarians are authorized to officiate weddings. The central belief of the religion is that an invisible and undetectable flying spaghetti monster created the universe. Pirates are revered as the original Pastafarians, with officials believing that a decline in the number of pirates over the years is a cause of global warming. One tenet of the religion is that Friday is a holy day, so all Pastafarians need that day off of work, and all prayers end with the official response, Ramen. The term Pastafarianism is a form of portmandu, which is combining two words together to form one new word never heard before. Portmandu was created by Lewis Carroll, the author of Alice in Wonderland, and it's named after a suitcase that opens into two equal sections. A portmandu comes from the French words to carry and cloak, and it's similar to a coat tree, or as I call it, a hallswain. If you've ever had brunch in Eurasia with Tigons and Ligers, you're familiar with portmandus, which once again is a word that Lewis Carroll made up while he was creating other portmandus like Jabberwocky on a three-hour rowboat ride with his niece and some friends where he created most all of Alice's tales. Two proper names can also be combined to create a portmandu, as is often the case in the tabloids with regard to supercouples. Think Benifer, Bragelina, or most recently, Ivan Conald. And with that, let's bid adieu to this exceptional episode. I hope it has you feeling merry, unless of course she said laissez-faire. What I would give for a stiff pair of bell-bottoms right about now, though I'm sure over time they'd loosen, much like the laws of the land. As philosophies evolve, be sure to stay current or else you're bound to get carried away. Remember to keep a healthy constitution and let charcuterie be the cure to what ails you before we find ourselves encased in more joshing around.